Hey, this is Phil Rice. And uh, well, Ben, we're here to talk about, uh, well, what, what got me particularly interested in, in talking to you right now is your your latest release, which is called Shock Break. Um, this was released on October 19th, so about three weeks ago. Um, it's made with Unreal Engine 5, 5.1 actually, uh, iClone 8 and Character Creator 4 are involved. Um, of course, the Adobe suite of tools for different things, Blender at some point, and you've got a Rococo suit and gloves that are part of it. I'm kind of just basing this off of the the list of tools that you said were involved. Yeah. Um, about 1,300 views as of today, which is far less than it deserves, but it's it's a it's a nice haul. You know, it's not easy to get 1,300 views. No, on a, on a, on something that doesn't lean on other people's IP at all. It's a completely independent story. So, uh, at least as far as I can tell. So, yeah. congrats on that, and uh, and it's it's a beautiful piece, just great execution. And uh, so, what to start off? What was your background? And I should probably know this, being involved with the machinima community as long as I have, but what's your background with making animations like this prior to iClone, which it looks like you started up with that a number of years ago now, but were you involved with Machinima before that through the movies or one of those, those types of tools as well? It started with the movies back in 2007, if I recall. Okay. December so the early 2007. Days. Yeah, yeah. Very early. Okay. And, yeah. Well, what, uh, what clearly the movies, the process of the movies, uh, is a lot different than, than what you're doing now. So what, what, uh, tell me a little bit about that evolution. Like, was it, did you kind of get a taste for telling stories with that, frankly, a little bit easier to use tool and, and decide, yeah, I want to lean into this and, and do more. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to, to know about that because it's, it's quite a bit more complicated process what you're doing now than what we were even able to do with the movies back then. Uh, very much. Actually, um, at first I was very skeptical of iClone back in when I think it was 2009 when I first got it or 2010 or it was something around that time. I don't remember. Right. I think it was 2011, maybe. I didn't see much production work with it. And actually, I wanted it in the competition, iClone 4. So... I started like making a short. Then there was an old filmmaker by the name of Shitten who said, "No, just you completely tore my first work oh, apart." <laughs> and uh, some people were uh, kind of uh, against that, but said, "No, this is actually pretty helpful advice." So I spent six months trying to make a movie out of it and seeing what people are doing, and I realized I kind of dove deep into the tools, and I realized, you know. Hey, this has a lot more control because with the movies game, you know, you have all these little scenes here and then you uh, make a movie out of it. But sometimes we kind of went beyond that. Right. Where basically we used the green screen, we used mods, we used. So I saw Icon as an extension in a way mm -hmm. where there was motion files from Real Illusion that I can use. And then I found out I can alter it. Like I can use the motion layer tool or the puppet to kind of tell like the conversation scenes because when we were working the movies game we were pretty good at matching like conversation motions and that had kind of an advantage i think 
right where basically you know we i see people when they were doing stuff in iclone even to the day where they're emoting sometimes it's way 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 off but now with my uh, rococo suits i'm, I'm going to be honest here i'm not the most uh, physically active guy i can't jump around and do flips or martial arts or anything right. like that very well i do have like this toy gu- this martial arts gun practicing that kind of is close way to a real gun so i can use it to move around or stuff like that but right Rococo itself uh, is one step beyond because I don't have to rely on those motion conversations. I can act it out. I can do all that, but um, it's still the same principle applies. You kind of know what to work with with iClone. You can't just have characters stand still and talk. There has to be some motion and you have to right. match that. So it was kind of like a, like you said, there's a kind of an evolutionary step along the way. Um, iClone is very, like, it was a huge step forward, but I realized, oh, I can adjust lighting. I can do camera work and all that. And I was going to school at the time for television production when I first got iClone. Oh, I didn't know so, that. Uh, and yeah, in film, some film studies. Yeah, I was uh, handling real life cameras. So I was kind of knowing, okay, what to work with, how to compose a scene. And it was kind of a learning process on both sides. I kind of applied what I learned back and forth. Sure. And now, now these days it kind of sticks with me. Like with uh, Shock Break, there was a lot of... Uh, there was it was kind of very careful like i was trying to plan everything you can tell a lot of shots were well sometimes like i was trying to uh let's use the fight scene as an example uh-huh the fight scene took a lot of planning it took me several tries to do um i wasn't sure how to approach it and so what i did was like i took a storyboard and also i kind of studied uh Hong Kong action films and some Hollywood stuff. And I realized, oh, I can see what they did. And not only that, but their editing style is a little different than the Americans. Right. Where Americans edit on the hit. You know, when a character gets hit, they edit that where they take a couple steps back. So you see the hit. So I kind of applied that to that. Um, yeah. So sorry. Yeah, boy. And of course. No, no. And yeah, an action sequence, uh, a melee action sequence like that. Yeah. It, the, the guys who do that well in Hollywood make it look so easy, but it's a very, very complicated endeavor. And I, I, I even for live action, I think it, it's probably one of the more planned types of shots that have to be done because of all that can go wrong. And it's not you're not planning in the same way, obviously, with characters that you can completely control every motion. Whereas with actors, you just have to make sure, OK, don't really don't really hurt him, you know. <laughs> But it is, yeah, it's, there's a lot of variables and the the camera angles and then the shot selection and how it's edited together can completely change how the scene, you know, what the scene conveys. So, yeah, it's, uh, I've heard a number of people over the years talk about that, man, I didn't realize how challenging it was to do an action sequence like that until I actually did it. It is, it's, it's, it's some challenging stuff. It was probably the most challenging scene, uh, scene in the movie, easily. Uh, the first thing I kind of approached, I approached it for, like it was a dance scene. So you kind of see characters moving along with the, right. you know, with the music. Yeah, choreography, you know? of course. And I think that's important because even the camera is kind of reflecting off of that. So that's the that's the tough thing because I see a lot of, like when this, you know, a lot of the fighting scenes were from Reolution's uh, fight scene pack. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I had a couple of others. I was trying to mix it together. I even thought about like mocapping a couple of ideas where like um, I had an idea where she kind of 
throws them against the safe and I would do it myself, but mm-hmm. I don't know how well the mocap suit absorbs shocks and I don't want to lose oh. that suit. <laughs> you know. Sure. Um I think I've heard it actually does take a you can take uh as long as there's some padding it'll be okay. But um I didn't want to risk it. But you know, it's just uh I see people kind of letting the camera take the take advantage of it, you know, like letting the camera draw attention to itself. They're moving around wildly. Right. So I didn't want to do that. I thought that would be, be incredibly distracting. So I just kind of let the camera hold back. And if it was moving with the scene, it's going to move with the characters. I, that one, like you have to make sure that the characters are in the right sp- uh, spot for the camera so I can do quick editing. Mm-hmm. So that way you don't lose your pace. It, it's just, it's, um, there's so much, uh, so much to do. Like Mad Max Fury Road, all the characters are in the center of the frame. So it's easy to cut. Right. Back and forth. If you ever notice that, um, I mean, it's one of those things, just put your cursor in the middle of the screen when they're framed, when you watch Mad Max Fury Road and you'll notice all the characters are in the center because it's easy for the eyes. You don't wear out people. Sure. Sure. Um, now, speaking of, speaking of characters, I, I, it seems like that, uh, at least one of the characters in, in this and maybe, maybe multiple are, Faces or looks, I guess, that I've seen before in some of your your demos going back even a couple of years. The the uh, the masked uh, female character looks a lot like a masked female character that I've seen in some of your demos from a couple of years back. So is this a is this is shock break a, an idea that's been brewing for for quite a while and and it, it's finally come to light, or is it a fairly recent idea that came up? It was about a year ago. I was okay. testing out iClone 8 demo, and I, that's really where, where the idea started. I wanted to do a heist film. I actually looked into it. I studied uh, what jewel thieves do and how they operate and what rules they have to Like, there's quite a bit uh, like what goes into like these kind of heists and what to expect. And sure. I followed one person who's was probably up there for a while before he got caught that was... It's probably one that he was easily in the FBI's most wanted list, like easily top 10 for a while. Oh, like an actual, an actual, uh, thief. Wow. So he, he, he's on YouTube. If you will find him, his name's Larry Lawton. So I looked at him, looked at like what he was going through and he kind of breaks down what, what the process is. He doesn't, he's, he easily illustrates that it's not worth the the life. It's not worth it. And he's like, he's, like he's been at a while. So I kind of studied and looked into what goes into it and thought, okay, this would be fun. Like uh, he mentions that insurance companies are mostly the ones who pay the price for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she makes a, a point about that. So I kind of looked into it. I thought when iClone 8 came around, and this originally was supposed to be an iClone 8 because uh, I was playing around with volumetric lights and I built the set where she would fight. And I realized, let's try bringing this down real and see what happens because the set design is a lot easier to work with. That's mainly the reason why I work with Unreal. It's not so much the look or anything like that. It's all in your lighting, but it's about how easy the set design is for Unreal and how, actually, let's be honest, it's more affordable than I Yeah, can. no, yeah, it is, absolutely. Um, and actually, that that was probably the, that's the culmination of, of the, the questions that I was going to put to you today is, is, and you've just answered one of them, which is the, the why I was very curious about that. If it was something about the render itself or if, but you, you've answered that, that a lot of it is, is uh, set related. Now, you know, when putting together a, an animated film like this, uh, 
there's a lot of different moving parts, you know, uh, the characters and the animation sequencing, and then the set and the props and the lighting, and then they eventually the cameras. And yeah, you're doing this in a, in a way that, that sort of that leverages the strengths of iClone and the strengths of Unreal. But what does a workflow look like? Like I was, I was trying to think, okay, if I wanted to plan a short that's going to end up in Unreal, but I need to use iClone, I want to use iClone and Character Creator, you know, for those things, because it's so good at that. So it, it, I guess I, I'd, I've got questions about, well, what's the process there? Because obviously in iClone, you could build out the whole thing. You could build sets and then you could animate things and have the props and and the cameras and the lighting and all of that. But when you're doing it, straddling both platforms, uh, which stuff is done like natively in Unreal and which stuff is brought across, like maybe through Unreal Live Link or something like that? Because uh, I know it's possible. You technically, I think, could export a set or at least the fbx of a set and then bring it over into unreal if you know what you're doing but is that the way to do it it sounds like maybe you're you're actually constructing the sets there in unreal but then how do you what's involved in lining up you've got a character that needs to interact let's say in a meaningful way with that set so how do how do you judge distances and and you know, kind of get a feel for that stuff as you're planning out motion for the characters. Well, technically there's two ways to approach it. Okay. Uh, one is live link. You can, you can easily like bring in, uh, you can animate your character. Not like that, but Reillusion added something not too long ago where you can take like uh, an object from Unreal and instantly transfer it to iClone with no issue. Okay. I've used that many times. I don't use the live link per se, like to bring in animations. So Unreal is pretty much my production. You know, I do all the set work, camera, lighting, everything. I build the set first, then I kind of bring in certain pieces. I don't bring back everything, but only the things that the character needs to interact with. Mm -hmm. Then I can use iClone to animate around it, and then I send it back through an FBX method. I don't personally like LiveLink because I think there's too much work involved in getting everything all set up. And even though it's, I'll be honest, it's probably slower to do it my way and probably not as productive, but it's the one I've kind of built the system around. You can do, you can do live link or my way, the FBX way. The reason why it's also, um, is I have everything all organized. So I put everything, characters, sets, I, for, uh, for a project I'm working on, which is about an hour long. I'm, st I'm kind of doing all of the mocap work for it right now. Mm-hmm. I have to have scene. I'm putting all my scene set design. Everything's all organized because you don't want everything all in one folder because it's going to be really hard to put in through the sequencer when you're trying to find oh, what's the scene, you know, when you have like a lot of motion files to work through. Right. And with iClone, I think that I don't know if it gives you a, a naming thing or it just makes one name up. It's just kind of frustrating. So it helps with short productions, I think, but with longer stuff, you may have to do it my way. But that's just me. I haven't really experimented too much with LiveLink to make a decision on that. But well, yeah, I've um, seen I've seen some of your experiments with it because I think you either streamed or maybe did a video of them at some point when you were. Uh, and I've seen others too. And it seems like first of all that that LiveLink pretty hefty system requirements to get that to perform right. You've got to be running yeah. 
Unreal Engine. And yeah, you can tone down the shaders and things to make it more efficient, but still it's a heavy program. And then iClone 8 is is a heavy program. I don't mean that critically. I just mean, hey, it, it's it's doing big things. So it takes up a lot of resources. And even on a really good PC, it seems like that that live link it'd be a challenge to get it to perform well. So um I've been wondering about what the alternatives are there because my own experiments with it are uh you know have got me questioning whether this is the best way too. Yeah. Yeah, I ran into that struggle early on because I was rendering like like I said, I'm on a 2080 still. I don't have I've been meaning to upgrade, but I'm just kind of holding off of it right now for the moment. Sure. But um, yeah, I just kind of realized, okay, the live lengthening isn't working. So I do like Unreal. I do like its set design and everything. How do I kind of make a system? So I was, I spent at least a good three to four months just finding a way, experimenting, seeing what I could do. And I, I thank God for that live length thing where you can send props into iClone because I was doing everything by hand. Like I, I had to look where it is exactly on the right. Uh, right. Very, very tedious work. Now you don't have to deal with that anymore, but I realized the FBX method, I can still maintain, you know, a good consistent, uh, you know, there's no leg, there's no, everything is already animated by the time I send it. Sure. And then when I uh, assemble everything into the sequencer, I can, I have a good vision what to work with. And sometimes I've been known to work um, on projects that take, I've released a project that was like a minute long. I did it in four hours from completely building a project from scratch to when it's done. How I know it, because I was watching a Raiders game while doing it. And the project was done by the, by the time, a little afterward, after the Raiders game. So I was distracted, but... It's possible to make a very quick short. You just have to yeah. That's a plan. I mean, yeah, four hours to one minute. That's a good ratio for for doing something from scratch. That's 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 very good actually. So, um, are there any types of things that you try to bring over from character creator or I, like I'm thinking in terms of especially I would think hair, certain types of hair, and maybe even assuming that you're you're dressing out your characters in in character creator four then stuff with soft cloth cloth uh physics do those translate smoothly over to to unreal and behave properly or do, do you run into issues with that uh sometimes it doesn't translate at all it's always like um Sorry about that. Um, yeah, sometimes it doesn't translate this at all. Um, it, there's a, it, you always have to edit it uh, no matter what. And it's it's a lot easier to do it in Unreal than, than you know, than iClone because you don't have to make those weight maps at all. But right. It, it's a little bit of an art. You have to know what to work with. Sure. And I think they even changed Unreal, did a complete rehaul of the chaos system. So I, it, you might have to learn it again. It might improve. It might not. I haven't really looked into it myself. So for th and that would be the arena of things like springiness or or yeah, the soft cloth and things like that. Those behaviors basically Unreal has its own physics engine, so to speak, that that handles that. So it's not really about necessarily about getting that to perform properly in iClone and then 
moving it to Unreal and expecting the same thing. It's about Unreal has its own system for handling that stuff. And you, one would just need to be prepared for that. Am I understanding it right? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Um, it's just a lot of, you know, it's, it's kind of, it comes down to planning. And I think that's the most important thing. Like if you, you need to know what the, you need to have a vision. It's something you can't really improv last minute. Otherwise it's going to give you a lot of headaches. Sure. Sure. Um, so you, uh, part of your stack of, of tools is, uh, you know, the Adobe suite, including after effects and stuff like that. How much of what we're seeing in a short, like shock break, how much of that is what comes right off the render out of unreal versus what you've had to enhance it with for, you know, atmospherics or, you know, and obviously there's going to be some color grading stuff that anybody from any engine has to do. But in terms of the, uh, when there are effects, is that stuff that you're handling within unreal before it gets rendered from unreal? Or are you doing a lot more of that with, uh, like a tool like after effects? Uh, for this one, it's going to be after effects. I'm starting to learn the visual effects inside of unreal. Um, I'm slowly getting into it, but I didn't really have the time to completely like do this itself. I actually did cancel the service for, uh, I canceled Red Giant uh, Complete or whatever it was called for a while because right. I had a year of that. So I was working on some productions for it. And I realized with Unreal, um, I real I didn't I, I don't think I needed it anymore. So I just decided to completely cut Red Giant out this year. So it's not only that, but I'm kind of looking through what I need and don't need. Um, was, yeah, everything's still, a, everything's a subscription now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It eats up the budget pretty quick. It does. Um, I just realized, nope, I don't need this anymore. And there's some tools like I use a program called Soundly because it has a sound effects thing. It's I think it's like ten dollars a month or something, which I use quite a bit of it. And even then, I'm looking at Adobe. I'm thinking, do I need Adobe? Because a lot know, of people are asking that right now. Yeah, there's the, just because there's been kind of an explosion of of alternative tools. Uh, and yeah, a, a, Adobe, of course, is the gold standard. But yeah, people are starting to to question it. I'm I'm hoping that the results of that will be uh, no. Adobe will, will get more competitive with how they price things. Yeah, and I think because at some point you just kind of I have to think like, nah, I don't think i need to i'm i was learning uh davinci result for a while and i thought this could be a good alternative and i'm still on the fence of that um i have to decide i think uh probably i'm kind of locked into it for a year now so i think right. next july i'll have to make that decision so you're while. using you're using uh premiere for your your uh video editing then yep pretty much uh okay. Premiere. yeah yeah and that's, that's the favorite for sure I, it's something I'm used to. <laughs> I'm always used to Premiere. I've worked with, I worked with Final Cut Pro. I worked with Avid Media Composer. I've worked with Sony Vegas, DaVinci Resolve. I used to work. My first editing program was Magix, so I kind of worked with a lot of stuff before, you know. And it's been Premiere for a while. Sure. Um, yeah. Once you use one for a while, man, it's hard to. It's hard to change. I, I used Vegas for way longer than I should have. I mean, just 
so i was just loyal because i just didn't want to break you know my process but uh uh when i tried to get the latest version of vegas running on windows 11 i just ran into all sorts of errors and problems it kept crashing and that's what kind of forced my hand to well i guess i'll i'll try davinci because i've never i've just never been someone who who knows my way around adobe stuff well enough to justify the expense so i thought well let's just try davinci because it does have the the resolve does have the free version let's just see if i can get done what i need to and i mean i love it i absolutely love it but my editing needs are pretty simple uh compared to uh well i don't know how to compare it to what you do but i mean i know that there are people who do stuff in editing that's way more complex than what i do so i don't know if the free version satisfies that for everybody but for the kind of stuff that i do it it's it's I don't miss Vegas. Finally, it's taken me about six months, but uh, I get it. Yeah. It's hard. I, I, it was so hard to switch, though, and I still am right-clicking where I should be hitting some other key because that's what I did for fifteen years. You know, so it can get frustrating. I, I get that. Like with um, when I was transferring between Final Cut Pro because I was an avid, I was cutting that for school. It was really frustrating. I was going. I was learning three different programs at once. Sure. Uh, Pro Premiere, uh, let's see, Final Cut Pro and Avid. So I was like, oh, and they all had different systems. So I was like, oh dear, God, come on. Um, but yeah, it's like I was also using Adobe Audition for a lot of the sound work. I've been paying. I've been actually been using Photoshop and uh, Audition a lot more lately, and I actually starting to really like those tools. I'm trying to take sound editing a little more seriously. Like I, I'm trying to learn a little more about EQ and all that been a very weak area and there's some parts in sound uh shock break that I can improve on when it comes to sound editing I, i'm still learning but yeah, yeah i don't know i don't know if any of us if we're honest none of us everyone should be saying that about about <laughs> about their film that there's stuff stuff i can still learn how to do better on sound i, I am definitely that that way and I, I and i've been doing it a long time like even you know i mean i, I went to school for some of that and still it's it's its own science. It really is, and uh, um, it's rewarding, but it's it's very time consuming to learn all the ins and outs of EQ and compression and all of that. It's it's uh, I envy any team that has a dedicated sound guy, which not many do. Not many yeah. indie teams like us do. No, no, and I actually do know a couple of people who do this for a living. So I yeah. thought if I'm raising, like I thought I'm actually at the point where I'm looking for fundraising for Shockbreak. Right, you I know, saw that. I'm looking around. I'm kind of st- like uh, once I get back from holiday on December, I'll kind of take it a little more seriously and look into. Okay, I need this. How much? Because you know, the, a lot of the voice talent, you know, that those are professional voice actors, and you know, they they agree to a reasonable price. But I thought about paying them a little more, like respectable. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah you more. can. You can. I, I think that for for teams that can figure out this this budget challenge which for anybody who wants to to take it seriously but it's not a you know corporate backed thing like what you're doing you know it it's that that's so hard to to where do you come up with the the money for that but when you do uh it, it seems like you could really build out a nice kind of a stable of talent you know for for voice in particular of people who you know have a versatile 
skill set and could be helpful on multiple productions and you know you get used to working with them and so it, it's communication is improved and there's like this whole frontier of a really cool production process but yeah to to i think the days of pro grade people just volunteering which it maybe i'm just remembering big but it seems like back in the mid you know early 2000s that it it just felt like that that the community around what was calling itself machinima had a lot of people who were you know like Ricky Grove the guy is i mean he's got an imdp imdb page the the, the length of my arm you know i mean he's a pro yeah. and he's just doing it for free for whoever asks um seems like those are harder to find and i'm not sure why that is it, some of it i think is the gig economy that that people are able to monetize these these gifts that they have without taking on full-time jobs with it you know through through fiverr or through these any number of uh stables like that or that, that are specifically for voice talent um so yeah it's it's almost become a must to have some kind of funding yeah. through yeah. through patreon or through friends and family or you know it really depends on how fortunate a person is to to who they've got that's willing to throw a few bucks at them, but uh, I'll be watching your your efforts with that with great interest because it's it's uh, it it's a part of you know doing this at a high level that it makes doing it at a high level much easier when there's even just a modest budget available, you know. Yeah, I, but, I think but it's it, go ahead. It's quite it's quite important, like especially you know voice talents. It's kind of hard to like. Uh, it's kind of hard to gauge uh, like how to find good voice talent. A lot of people struggle with that. And sure. um, I'm going to be honest, this is kind of a serious critique on my end. I see people champion AI voices and I just, I'm on that side. Like, no, it's not going to work because your audience will know better. Your audience is going to say, oh, something's wrong. Or that a human can't, can easily run away with that. A computer can't, sad to say. I'm not very excited about that, <laughs> you know, to be honest. And you hear, oh, I agree like, completely. I th I think maybe the only place that I see value in it would be in a setting of comedy where it's like not supposed to sound real, or if it's supposed to be a synthetic, you know, robot voice. Then okay, maybe that helps. Yeah, but for actual serious or even semi-serious dramatic roles, yeah, there's just uh, I have a hard time seeing how AI generated is ever going to be able to bring to the table what what a halfway decent regular actor can do yeah, and i think i mean the, i'll just kind of praise uh you know crystal who's the lead va she gave me efforts with now i didn't even ask for them i forgot to i'm like oh wait and then she just had like another file which was effort so it's like three or four minutes of her fighting yeah doing those fight noises i'm like wow okay that's great <laughs> and you know she played a pretty good performance um, oh she was great yeah i i assume that she's She's done some work before, uh, either oh, yeah. for for video games or something. But yeah, I mean, just yeah, she's, it was, in, she's a great sound. Yeah, she's in. I think she's in Genshin Impact or something. Okay. So a lot of actors, I think a few of them are in Genshin. Actually, I noticed. Uh, I think Damon is who voices the one of the agents. Um, he's in. I think he's in it. I have to check his resume, but 
Yeah, just a lot of it was scouting. A lot of it I was kind of listening to like, okay, uh, Crystal was in a previous production line. She auditioned for this role and she, she had one line where I was like, okay, yep, that's her. That's like <laughs> the attitude, like that's her. Yeah. I know. And, you know, it's always fun. Like we always bring, like there's, um, you know, one, the other agent, Holly, uh, like I knew, boom, she's right for the part. Yeah. Because I'd, I'd known uh, this actress for a while. She was she voiced in a project of mine previously uh, as a test. And I thought, okay, she'll be great for this role or this. And scouting is kind of like I have like a, like I've, I kind of immersed myself in the voice acting community for a while. So I know why, like, okay, who to turn to just in case. Or, right, right. Perfect. And, yeah, um, I, I actually, I remember watching uh, uh, on Twitter some of the casting interactions going on for, for this film, for Shockbreak. And at, at one point, somebody kind of got a little, little testy with you, thinking that you weren't offering enough money and whatnot. And and uh, they thought I was a pro studio, <laughs> right, right. And they were surprised. They were like, "Oh wait, you're just one guy." Oh wow, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm like yeah. At some point, I was like, I, I, first I was hurt. I'm like, why? why I don't, I'm just indie. I'm like, and then I remember that point, I like, watched it. I felt so bad for you because I'm like, dude, it, it, it's it's like a gut punch, you know. So. But the other hand, yeah. like everyone thinks, oh, you think I'm a pro? I'm just a single guy doing this, <laughs> right? Yeah. So you're working on an. You're. You're. It looks like you're. Well, I, I don't know if you've shared this with with others yet, but it sounds like you're you're looking toward developing uh, more to the shock break uh, story. But I've also seen you mention another project that you appear to be working on at, at the same time, or maybe it is related. I don't know, but called Red Strike. Yep. Is there anything that you're you're ready to tell anyone about that yet, or is it uh, still under wraps? Um, we should, we should we should see it in probably late December. Um, oh, that soon. Okay, yeah. I'm working on the mocap. I'm nearly uh, halfway through it right now. Well, that's great. Then then let's let's not risk any spoilers at all. If it's going to come that soon, I can I can wait yeah. for that. Uh, that's that's great. And I was working on a major project. Damien should know about it. It's been in production for years. It's like a running joke. It's called Endgame. I've been working on mocap for that. Yeah. God knows. I think this production's been longer for 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> Off and on. Because it was just one of the most difficult projects I have ever seen. I I don't... Like Unreal is probably the only thing I can work with it on it. Uh, I've been working with uh, Rush Hour, which is this AI thing for... you know it trains the vehicles to run automatically on a track or a spline and there's so much action scenes like i said i got this fake gun so like i have to do mocap scenes with it that revolution or nobody can do and i don't know when that's going to be done i've been just decided to say okay i'm just going to finish the mocap for it and then once once the most recent version of unreal by the time it's done i'm just going to throw it in and see what happens okay you know well very cool so you've got a you got a, a a few pans on the fire at different stages. That's great. I look yep. forward to to seeing what you produce, and uh, I appreciate that you 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 have at various points taken time to to offer up tutorial videos or insights into your process uh, through your videos. I mean, I, there's there's more of those than there are narrative shorts in your thing, and it's a very generous thing. And I think it it's one of the things that uh, that keeps this community vibrant is that sharing of, Hey, here's what I've learned. This is what works for me. You know, it's, it's, it's super handy. So I appreciate you doing that. 
problem it's a new frontier like I, there's so many requests a lot of people are wondering how to make movies with unreal and yeah. it's completely new territory and one of the i think one of the few people who do it like quite a bit where i can start sharing all not just like oh here's the new toy of the week or anything like that it's more like uh, here's how to make a movie here's right. what you can do um there's not a whole lot of youtube channels that cover that and i agree i, I know that from searching for them <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm very, I'm very curious about it as well. I, I'm, I've gotten to where I feel comfortable with iClone now, but uh, I'm realizing that there's going to be aspects where Unreal needs to be involved to do some of what I want to do, and so it's like, okay, now I got to learn that. So uh, I'll, I'll definitely be a, a viewer and supporter of, of any content like that you put out. And uh, I appreciate your time today. And uh, thank you. It was, it was great to talk to you, and hopefully we'll. I'd, I'd love to do this again sometime when I've got a uh, enough questions to to keep you talking for about this time. Uh, you're somebody that I've been, wanted to talk to for a while, and and frankly, uh, I know your time is is precious, and mine's been pressed as well. So I'm glad we were able to work this out on relatively short notice, and it's been a pleasure to talk to you, man. Uh, thank you, pleasure to talk to you as well. It's been really fun. Sorry if it's uh if I was rambling too much, you know. No, <laughs> no, that's why I got you on here. Yeah, I, I've I, I really appreciate your time and uh, look forward to speaking to you again. All right, thank you. Bye. All righty.